Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Well, good morning. Good morning. We are starting kind of the, the second part of our Let's Talk series. And, and uh, over the next three weeks, as we lead to Commitment Sunday, um, we're going to be kind of focusing on kind of uh, the role of, of money and, and how God wants to um, work his, in, in this world and in his kingdom through really our, our surrender and our stewardship. Um, this morning um, might, might be a little different, might feel a little different, but um, it's interesting. I was, I was looking in, uh, uh, in our culture, we just got done talking about the, the, how our culture is fueled by division. One of the things that's interesting in our culture is that our culture is obsessed, our American culture is obsessed with critiquing how, what everyone else has and how everyone else spends their money. Isn't that true? There is just a, 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 a like American obsession with, with critiquing and, and making comments and, and, and talking about other people. But, but it's interesting because as a culture, as a people, the American people, we are horrible with money. <laughs> But isn't it interesting that, that as, a, as, a, as a people, we're horrible with money, but for some reason, we, we really like to critique how other people do it. And, and, and it's interesting because I think it's this, this distraction from ourselves because we don't want to recognize oftentimes how irresponsible we are, so we like to point the finger at other people. Uh, I was reading, doing some research this, this past week, and it was interesting. I, I think it was on Reddit that uh, there, there somehow became this this, uh, this discussion about this uh, woman who, who was talking about her wedding that was costing $28,000. And uh, apparently, um, weddings range all over the place, um, uh, but, but $28,000 isn't the most expensive wedding that there was. But, but it was interesting because uh, this one person commented, and this stuck out to me, and I thought about, hmm, where is this person coming from? They made a comment and they said this. They said, $28,000 on a wedding is absurd. Most weddings end in divorce anyway. And <laughs> I was kind of like, hmm, maybe we shouldn't spend that much on your wedding. Um, <laughs> but it was just really interesting, the, 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 like, the, the perspective and, and the, the need that this person felt to, to kind of comment and, and go that direction. Um, on that and just kind of critique somebody else. And it was interesting, as I was doing that research, um, there is a whole psychology of the way we tend to critique or, or judge other people. And there's a whole bunch of kind of clinical terminology and definitions, but, but, but to kind of summarize it, what I gathered from looking at the psychology of critique and judgment is this, that, that we want to feel better or superior to others by making them, in our critique, seem worse and excusing or ignoring the things that we reflect in them. So in other words, like a lot of times critique and judgment comes from a place of wanting to kind of push someone else down a little bit and make ourselves feel better. And oftentimes what we see in other people, what we see them doing and what we see uh, their lives 
in their lives, it reminds us of some things that we know deep down inside are off in our lives. And so rather than, than looking at those things in our lives and confronting them, we ignore those and we tend to, to, to take shots at other people. And it's interesting because this is a purely emotional and not really a rational process. And, and it, if you notice how that connects back to division and how it fuels our culture, everyone wants to kind of point and look at how other people are, but we don't really want to look at ourselves and say, okay, well, where am I? Um, there's a, a, an Instagram. How many people are on Instagram? Not a whole lot. I'm not on Instagram. My, my wife makes fun of me because I'm not on really any social network things. Um, not that I'm against it, but I'm against it because I don't like it. But anyway, um, <laughs> but on Instagram, there, this past spring, summer, um, there was a new Instagram that came up, and uh, uh, the guy who started it is, uh, this is actually his alias. He didn't give his real name. His name's Tyler Jones. Um, and he is, by occupation, he is a sneaker buyer-seller. I didn't realize that was an occupation, but he's a sneaker buyer-seller, and he's always been really into fashion, and uh, he's also a Jesus follower. His wife actually works at the church that they go to, um, but he was noticing, because he is a sneaker buyer-seller, he was noticing as he was seeing some different high-profile pastors um, around the country, um, he was noticing the sneakers that they were wearing and he was noticing the, the kind of the fashion trends among some of those pastors. And so kind of tongue-in-cheek, he started this Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. Um, and so, so what he does is, is he, he have these, these shots of these different people who are uh, pastors and preachers, and uh, he, he throws out their, their picture, you know, whether they're preaching on stage and that, and he kind of points to their sneakers that they're wearing or their 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 jacket that they're wearing, and, and he just mentions what the, the retail price of those things are. And it's kind of unbelievable. Um, so actually today, I am wearing um, not my normal footwear. Um, these are Yeezys, and I didn't really, I wasn't super familiar with those. Um, I, I borrowed these from someone. Actually, someone asked if I wanted to borrow them for today, and I was like, yes, I do. Apparently, these are really expensive, um, and I find them extremely uncomfortable, but... Um, <laughs> Like, my toes are falling asleep right now. Like, literally, I might start walking weird. Um, but, but anyway, and so, uh, but, but apparently, that, this is something that, that's, that's kind of out there. And so, it, it actually started this, this big, big uh, dialogue of, of should people be wearing, and, and, and some of these sneakers are like three and $4,000. Yes, yes. Um, and, and so, uh, it was interesting. So, in, uh, in, in Fashionista magazine, the online version, um, they interviewed this guy, um, this guy Tyler Jones. And uh, it was interesting because he said, you know, he really didn't start it to cause a big argument, but he started it just kind of tongue in cheek. But what I thought was the most um, entertaining part of the article was he was asked, what does he think Jesus would wear? And he said, I think Jesus would wear open-toed Birkenstocks. So now I feel like Sean Hewlin is Jesus. But um, anyway, uh, so, so it, was, it was interesting, though. And it was, one of the things that happened was, was there was, a, there was a, one, of the, one of the things on, on Preachers and Sneakers was a pastor who had um, this apparently really expensive, like, bag and these really expensive, uh, uh, like, uh, 
uh, I don't even know what to, uh, like pants, not pants, but like sweatpants, whatever it is. But anyway, it had all this stuff, and it was interesting because he responded to it on his Twitter, and he said, he said, want to know what's crazy? He said, I legit did not pay for one thing I'm wearing, that these were all gifts. And so it was kind of, it kind of became, became this thing of everyone kind of looking at these and, and judging and making critiques and, and saying that. And it's interesting because it just boiled into this, this big argument and conversation. Now, I did find some interesting things. So I want you to look at this. This, this is the Jesus shoes. And um, look at how much they are. The reason, uh, the reason they came out, the, the reason these shoes are so expensive is one, they, they have a scripture verse on the side. Um, and you know how like there's, you know, like Nikes have like, you know, gel in the sole and that kind of stuff. These shoes actually have water from the river Jordan in them. And so if you don't maybe have enough to do a trip to Israel, you could just buy these shoes and it's like you're in the Jordan. Um, so that's a real thing that exists. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and, and then what was great, um, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor in Alpharetta, Georgia, uh, he, he saw um, the whole preachers and sneakers. And so he actually did his own kind of Instagram picture of his $39 sneakers and his Dockers and his shirt. And it was great because one of the comments that were made about him was, uh, was um, uh, dad style formal going to Carabas. And uh, <laughs> Like, that's fantastic. But um, so it just it became this thing, and, and, and all of, all of this, this thing kind of boiled over. And what's interesting is it just illustrates the obsession that our culture has with money. Like, we are just obsessed with money and possessions and stuff, and, and we, are, we are just very singularly focused on that. And we, we love to look at what other people are doing and comment on what they have or what they don't have. And we tend to put dividing lines in, in those ways, like, well, they're wearing this and, and they're wearing this, and, and I would never wear that, and, and, and all of those things, and, and driving and, and all of these things. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, I want to read a passage that if you've, been, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, there's some verses in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that will be really familiar because they're thrown out there uh, pretty often. But let me read. I'm going to read uh, chapter 6 starting in verse 6 through verse 10. And Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs." And, and so Paul writes to Timothy, talking to him about how to find contentment and, and happiness in life. And when he says contentment, he says, he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. And that contentment idea is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances. When he says contentment, he's talking about this idea that there's this inner peace that keeps us there in spite of what's going on around us. That, 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 our, that our contentment isn't anchored 
in what we might have or what we might not have, what's going on around us or what's, what's going on inside of us. That, and, and so, and so there's, this, there's this temporal versus eternal focus in, in, these, in this message that Paul writes. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, that, that the greatest gain we can have is looking more and more like Jesus and having that peace of, and that contentment that is within us regardless of what station we're at in life or what we have or what we don't have. And then he goes on and he says, but godly, but, but he says, for we were brought, for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And what he's saying there is this temporal versus eternal perspective. And the key is, is that we are anchored in the eternal while not denying the temporal. And, and notice that he says, he says, you know, you, you didn't bring anything into the world and you bring nothing out. But then he says, if we have food and clothing, we can be content. In other words, that, that there's a reality that, that our eyes have to see beyond the physical world that we see. But we live in this physical world and we have needs, don't we? Um, if, 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 you're not, if you're not nourished and you don't have the right, the right protection and shelter then it's really difficult to focus on the mission and the task God has called you to. That, 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 that Jesus took time to rest. He took time to eat, to nourish himself, and, and so that he could be about the will of his Father. And so really, part of what he's saying is in this is he's saying, our needs do need to be met to accomplish greater things. And so it's not a denial of the, the physical, the material, possessions, and all the, those things. But he's saying, look beyond those things and recognize that there's a bigger picture of what God wants to do in your life and through you. And, and, and the reality that he's focusing on is that God is the source and he's the giver of all things. And so part of living a surrendered life is recognizing that everything that I have actually belongs to God, and in his generosity, he has shared that with me. And, and that the reality that, that money isn't actually an end in itself, but money is one of the many tools that God uses in our life to make us look more like Jesus, to make us think more like Jesus, to make us act more like Jesus. That's one of the things that God does. And so, so notice what he says as he kind of comes down pretty hard on this idea of, of a desire, he says, to be rich. He says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare. Then he says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And, and, and so right there when he says, in the same way where he says contentment, it's this inner, it's this inner place sufficiency that keeps us at peace in spite of our outward circumstances, when he says the desire to be rich, when he uses desire there, what he's saying is the desire is a more and more without the possibility of satisfaction. Do you have a pursuit in your life that, that you pursue and you realize as long as you pursue it, you just are never actually satisfied with it? That the more you have, it doesn't make you more satisfied. You just want more. Um, that's me and Funyuns. That might gross you out. Sherry hates Funyuns. She thinks they're disgusting. But they never put enough Funyuns in the Funyun bag. And I love Funyuns. And the more I eat, the more I want. 
I am never satisfied with as many Funyuns as I can eat. And it's just that idea that I want more and more and I'm just never happy with it. And, and, but that's what Paul's saying here is that if we have a desire, those who desire to be rich, in other words, those who cannot be satisfied, but they need more and more and more, what he says is those people set themselves up for incredible disappointment, and he says, even leading them to destruction. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and, and he says later, and we'll hit this, we'll, we'll see this later, later on this morning, but, but, but Jesus says you can't have divided loves. You can't have divided loves. If you have a spouse, you have to have a singularity of love for that man or woman, don't you? <laughs> I mean, you can't say like, well, I can't say like, well, I love Sherry 70% and then this other woman 30%. Like, that doesn't work. And God says you can't have divided loves. And so he says, you can't love me and love money. Now, you can enjoy the blessings that you have in your life and you can experience that, but he says, don't place your love there because that will take you away from me. And so he says, the desire, that's a problem. And he says, even to the point, he says, um, it is through this craving, notice how he's describing it. It is not a healthy, it is not a healthy pursuit of, of doing well. But he says, through this craving, some have wandered away from the faith and pierce themselves with many pangs. He says that even to the point in the early church, as the church is just blossoming and that the, the, the ministry of Jesus is, is in their rearview mirror, you can almost still see it. They're so close. Yet even there, this, this craving has caused some people to walk away from the faith because they just can't follow Jesus and satisfy themselves and their cravings. And so, and so this is a, a really a stark warning from Paul saying, we've got to have our pursuit of money and our pursuit of possessions in the right place, in the right priority in our lives. See, money functions like a narrator or st a storyteller. It excavates the hidden motivations, values, and myths and longings that drive our patterns of feeling, thinking, and behaving. In other words, money reveals not just our financial principles, but our true ambitions. That's what's revealed by the way I treat or I pursue money. It reveals not just how I think about money principally wise, but it actually reveals my true ambitions. And, and that's really what Paul's saying here in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You see, Jesus dealt with money in his ministry here on earth. For the, the 33 or so years that he lived, he dealt with the reality that we deal with. How do you get from point A to point B? How do you, how do you eat? How do you live? How do you, how, do you, uh, how do you live your life? And watching Jesus gives us an invitation to what I would say is a, the dual nature of human flourishing, which is freedom and sacrifice. And I want you to think about that for a second. I want you to think about freedom and sacrifice. Freedom as we talk about money or finances, is the financial flexibility that offers choices aligned with our human vocation. In other words, what you do is in your vocation, you get paid for that, and that affords you certain choices financially, doesn't it? 
If you get, if you get paid more, then you have more money that, that you have to make decisions with and make choices with. If you get paid less, if you have less money, then you have a different set of choices to make. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, in our world, it almost doesn't matter how much or how little you can figure out a way to get what you want, and then you just end up paying for it for the rest of your life. <laughs> But there's a reality that there's a freedom that we have in that. The sacrifice part that balances that is that willingness to risk financial loss for the good of others. You see, Jesus modeled a freedom and a sacrifice in his life and ministry, and that's what the Bible calls us to. And not only does this apply to finances, which we're looking today, but this applies to life in general. This is part of becoming like Jesus because, see, we even have the freedom to, 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 to do certain things. We have the freedom with our time, and even with our time, we have freedom and sacrifice. We have the freedom to do what we want with our time, yet, yet we, Jesus calls us to, to sometimes sacrifice what we want to do with our time for the benefit of his kingdom, doesn't he? And so this idea of freedom and sacrifice is very real. And, and, and when you think about Jesus' ministry, how did Jesus go around and do the ministry he did? Well, we, we read, we read in, in, in Luke chapter 8 that there was a, a group of individuals, specifically there was a group of women who were well off, who actually funded Jesus' ministry, <laughs> Like, they, they had this freedom because, because they, they were apparently fairly wealthy, so they had freedom to do whatever they wanted with their money, yet they chose, at least to some degree, to sacrifice and say, you know what, I believe in what Jesus is doing because of what Jesus has, how he's impacted my life. They, they used some of their wealth, at least, to, to fund the ministry that Jesus was doing. Um, these, women, the, these women in Luke 8 are Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Susanna. And, and if you go there, you can kind of read up a little bit. There's not a lot of information about them, but, but they lived this balance of freedom and sacrifice. And there's others who, who gave of their resources, accommodations and meals to Jesus and his ministry. And so Jesus did the work of the ministry while he, he, he received this, this funding, essentially, from people who lived in that balance. Now, you see... This idea of freedom and sacrifice can easily be distorted and it, and it turns up, I think, in these false gospels that we tend to follow or believe. And so I would say, first of all, that one of the distortions with the Bible and money is what I would call the gospel of security. And that's when we have maybe too much freedom and we, we really lean into and, and experience and enjoy our freedom with what, what life has, what, what God has given us in our lives. And, and we don't, we, we kind of ignore the sacrifice part. And so if we have too much freedom and, and, and without sacrifice, we become preoccupied with ourselves and isolated from the concerns and needs of our neighbors. And we can probably think of people in our lives, or maybe there's been times in our lives that we've been too obsessed with our freedom, with our money, and it has caused us to be very self-absorbed, and we don't recognize the needs of the people around us. And we miss opportunities that God sets in front of us to be the hands and feet and the voice of Jesus to those people around us because we're so obsessed with our freedom. And, and so this is gospel of, of I'm going to be secure in myself and I'm gonna provide for myself and I'm the ultimate end of myself and, and, and everybody else has to take care of themselves. 
But then there's the opposite of this, which is another distortion, which is the gospel of suffering, which is we focus maybe too much on sacrifice without recognizing God's gracious freedom that he's given us. And we become overwhelmed by the needs of others while ignoring the needs of maybe those who we're directly responsible for. I've seen this in a handful of ministries of, of different, different pastors that I've known who, who've, who've really uh, pursued and focused on this, this sacrifice piece and, and their, 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 their spouse and kids are miserable, not because they're not getting what they want or they're entitled, but because they're barely scraping by and they're not taking care of their own family. And, and, and we see this come in different ways. And, and so, so there's got to be a balance. And, but then there's what I would call the gospel of suppression when we lack both, and freedom, both freedom and sacrifice by stifling honest conversation and honest action with regards to money. It's that thing where we just ignore the whole thing. We don't talk about it. We don't look at it. And, and we, just, we just leave it. And just whatever happens, happens. You see, Jesus calls us into balance and the usefulness of money in our lives has to do with transformation, just like everything else that God places in our lives. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're experiencing abundance. And here's the question that you need to ask yourself as you're experiencing that abundance. God, what do you want me to learn and how do you want me to use what you've given me? You might be in a place where you're experiencing a lack of things in your life right now. Maybe you're at a place where it's really difficult. In the same way, the question you should be asking is, God, how can I become more like Jesus through this with what I'm missing? And God, how do you want to show your faithfulness to me in this? Because that's, that's, that's the whole point of where you are, is that God wants you to become more like Jesus. And so whatever situation you're in, you have an opportunity to recognize God's faithfulness and his commitment to your transformation. Take a look at these different people throughout the Bible. Um, Jesus, the only the only people that Jesus groups is the Pharisees. I mean, everybody else he kind of deals with as individuals, but he tends to group the Pharisees often. And in Luke chapter 16, he, he confronts the Pharisees. And in, in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says to the Pharisees, as they are, are, are drawing attention to themselves and how good they are and how generous they are and how sacrificial they are, Jesus kind of calls them out and he says, no servant can serve two masters. For he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And then it says that the, the commentary in, in Luke is this. It says, the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. They ridiculed Jesus because of what he was saying, because they had a love of money and not actually love of God. It's interesting that as, as we see through the Gospels, the Pharisees are revealed that they weren't actually committed to God and the law. They were actually committed to their own 
gain. And Jesus unveils that. And so, and so we see a whole group of people who live this way and they're miserable and they can't help, but it says they ridiculed him. They were the ones who were pointing and saying, well, look what Jesus has or look what this person has. They shouldn't have this. And Judas had that same mentality and attitude. When a woman came in and put this expensive perfume and basically pampered Jesus because of her gratitude for what Jesus had done. And Judas says, hey, you shouldn't be wasting that because we could be giving that money to the poor while at the same time, Judas knowing that he was skimming from everything that was given to Jesus' ministry. And Jesus said, this woman out of gratitude is showing the best she can how much she appreciates what God has done for her. And Jesus says, let her do that. Then we see a, a, an interaction with Jesus and a, and a rich young man in Mark chapter 10. And after a conversation, this man again comes up to Jesus and he says, hey Jesus, I want to follow you. What do, what do I need to do to follow you? And Jesus says, I want you to, I want you to, uh, I want you to um, obey the commandments. And he says, I obey all the commandments. I'm there and they, they have this conversation back and forth and, and eventually Jesus looks at him and in verse 21 he says, and Jesus looking at him loved him and said to him, he focused on the thing that the guy wasn't actually willing to admit. And he said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. In other words, he didn't really want to follow Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus on his terms and he wasn't ready to sacrifice anything. Later, you see Jesus in, in Jericho, and, and Zacchaeus is there, and, and he's this tax collector. In Luke 19, it tells the story, and, and Zacchaeus, did exa he had an occupation that afforded him great freedom. <laughs> great freedom, because, because tax collectors in the Roman Empire could kind of take whatever they wanted to, to, give their, to build their own wealth. And so, so Zacchaeus was a pretty wealthy guy. And, and Zacchaeus was doing quite well, and so he had all kinds of freedom. And so he meets Jesus, and Jesus changes his life. And in verse 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He moved into this place of saying, I recognize the imbalance in my life and I've met Jesus and Jesus has made a difference. And so he leans into that sacrifice piece. And he says, I'll give half of my possessions and anyone who I've ripped off, which would be a lot of people because that was the life of a tax collector. I'll restore to them fourfold. And then, and then Jesus is in the temple with his disciples and, and in Luke 21, they're, they're there and, and it's that moment where, where the people are, are giving, are giving in the temple. And, and Jesus' attention and focus goes to this one woman, this older woman, and she puts a single coin in the offering. And, and, and the, the, the disciples are actually impressed with some of these more wealthy people who are putting lots of money in the offering, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. But Jesus says, don't, don't mistake and be super impressed with these people because look at this woman. And he says in, in, in Luke chapter 21, 
one through four, he says, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box, and he saw a poor widow putting her two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put more than all of them, for they contributed out of their abundance, out of their freedom. But she, out of her poverty, out of her sacrifice, put in all she had to live on. And again, does Jesus demand that she did that? No. But she was living such a life of gratitude for what God had done for her that that's where she came from. In, in Acts chapter 4, there's a guy named Joseph. And uh, he was part of the early church, and he was a guy who, who obviously was saved through through surrender and, and forgiveness of his sins through Jesus Christ. And, and so he was apparently active in the church, in the early church in Acts in Jerusalem. And so it says in Acts chapter 4, verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, this guy apparently was a super encouraging guy. And everybody walked away from Barnabas encouraged. And it says he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him. He apparently had a, uh, he, he, had, he, was, he was maybe someone who was, who was into property and real estate. But he sold a field which belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's a guy who didn't give everything he had, like the widow, but he said, I have this great freedom because of how I've done in life, how God has, has blessed me in this life. And he said, I'm going to take a field and I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give everything that comes from that field to the church because I believe in the ministry that's happening here in Jerusalem during this time. And it's interesting how, how Acts records that as an appropriate way to live. He didn't eliminate everything he had. But he had this great freedom and he leaned into that sacrifice. He didn't have to give everything from that property, but he did. And, and so you see, the Bible gives us all kinds of examples of this freedom and sacrifice balance. Sometimes God calls us to sacrifice more. Sometimes God, God calls us to live in a greater freedom, to bless us in different ways. Here's, here's how I would recommend it. Here's how I would want to challenge you this morning. One, that, 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 that we need to remember and recognize that God is the one who's given us everything we have. And that every one of us who follows Jesus will make an account of how we used what God gave us. And so that's the bottom line of everything. You'll make an account of everything you did with what God gave you. Now, here's the encouragement. Here's, here's what I would suggest that we do, that, that we would use temptation against itself. Remember at the beginning, we talked about this idea that our, our culture is obsessed with critiquing what everyone else does? When, when I'm tempted to critique someone else, when I see someone driving the car that I wish I had, or when I see someone experiencing something that I wish I could experience, but I'm not at the point that I can do that. And I'm tempted to, to begin with critiquing and judging and criticizing. Then before I go there, let that temptation remind me that it's Jesus calling me to look in the mirror. That's how Jesus works all throughout Scripture. 
That's what Jesus calls us to throughout the whole Bible, is that when we see something that's wrong out there, he always says, but first look inward. He says that when you, when you see a sin in your brother's life or your sister's life, he says, before you go after that, look at yourself and see if you've got something going on in your life. He's not saying don't, don't call that out or hold someone accountable that you're in community with. But he says, before you go to the speck in your brother's eye, make sure you take care of the log that's in yours. And it's the same way here. Before I critique or criticize somebody else, I need to look in the mirror and let Jesus speak to me and say, why am I where I am? Why do I feel the compulsion to comment and criticize? Is it that I'm not being grateful and content with what God is doing in my life? Maybe I'm where I am because that's how Jesus is best transforming me. And after I've looked in the mirror and kind of used temptation against itself, then decide, do I still need to make comments? <laughs> do I still need to criticize? Chances are good that I'll be busy working with Jesus in my own life <laughs> rather than commenting on something else. Here's the other thing that I would encourage you to do. Lean into the underdeveloped areas of your life. And so we talked about that idea of freedom and sacrifice. See, if you've pushed too aggressively into sacrifice in your life, where the people that you're responsible for, where the people that, that you're called to care about are, are suffering because you're leaning too hard and sacrifice has actually become a pride issue for you, then lean into some freedom. Enjoy what God has done in your life. Don't become misbalanced. But you see, sometimes we use sacrifice as a pride to make much of us rather than to become like Jesus. And we have to be careful with that. And, and, and maybe, maybe you've pushed too aggressive, aggressively into your freedom pursuing comfort and security. Maybe that describes you and you've, you've done that and, and very rarely do you, it does it even cross your mind that you know, maybe God is calling me to be generous or to give or to support things. Then maybe if you've pushed too aggressively into freedom, then lean into sacrifice and embrace downward mobility for the good of others. And again, it's so easy to walk this road in pride either way. And so we have to have the foundation of humility there. And so I would, I would encourage you that if you fall on one side or the other, if that's kind of your default, your bent, because we as human beings are bent one way or the other. Some of us just really like to be seen and, and, and be seen as, as, as the happening people. And some of us like to be under the radar and we, we, we're, we're more bent toward that sacrifice. God calls us to be balanced. God calls us to grow his kingdom. Here's the last thing that I would suggest, especially as, as we interact with each other in community and, and maybe in your home group this week or, or in the community, the gospel community you're in. So often our culture, our culture's mantra is, it's none of your business, right? It's none of your business what I do with my money and how, what I buy, it's none of your business, that's how we respond. And so I would, I would suggest that, that as we participate with each other in our community, that we go from none of your business to small group business. 
And what I mean by that is this. Here's, here's three questions that I would, I would suggest that you, you challenge each other with and you willingly open yourself up to. Just like Jesus had a small group of people who he walked with, who he was accountable to, I would encourage us financially to walk with a small group of people who pursue Jesus and ask the questions, how am I enjoying the freedom God's, of God's blessing? Like if you go to the people who are in your community and say, you know, how do you see me enjoying the freedom of God's blessing? But then also ask this question, how am I intentionally sacrificing to recognize God's work through me? Because sometimes somebody can look at you and say, oh, I see you enjoying God's freedom all these ways. But then you say, how, am I, how do you see me intentionally sacrificing for God to work through me? And if they say, I, you know, I don't know. Then maybe it's an indicator to say, am I really recognizing God as the giver and am I responding in gratitude? So that brings us to the third question. Am I recognizing God as the source and focus of my joy and my sufficiency? Am I recognizing God as the source and focus of my joy and my sufficiency? You see, talking about money has been uh, a frustration and a tension since the beginning of time, since God created man. But the Bible talks about it all the time. And God calls us to live our lives in gratitude. And sometimes that means enjoying the freedom of God's generosity to us. At the same time, recognizing where God calls us to intentionally sacrifice for the greatness and the movement of his kingdom. Next week, we're gonna have baptisms and we're gonna have food trucks outside and we're gonna have Celebration Sunday. And next week, I would encourage you to be here and bring friends because we're gonna celebrate next week and we're not only gonna celebrate the lives of people who, who God is changing and transforming through, through their testimony and baptism, but we're also gonna celebrate what God has done through you and how you have been obedient to his desires and plan in your life and what he's done this last year through us as a church. And we're gonna look at some of those things that God has done in our community, in our country, and around the world because we as a people have chosen to surrender to Jesus, not just our time, not just a few things, but, but that we've chosen to allow him to be Lord of our money as well. And so we're gonna celebrate next week and I would encourage you to come and, and, and feel free to invite someone to, to hear these stories of transformation and the work that God is doing in and around us. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you this morning and I thank you for your love. I thank you for how you work in us. God, I thank you for how you constantly drill down and challenge us. Father, I pray this morning that as, as we've sought you in your word, Holy Spirit, that you would convict us of the areas that we need to grow in. Father, I pray that we would grow in freedom and sacrifice. That, God, we would recognize your lordship, your generosity, and, God, also your sacrifice. God, you are the epitome of, of, of generosity and sacrifice. So, Father, I pray that our lives would be aligned 
with the life of Jesus. And that we would treat everything we have that way. God, I thank you for being with us and going out with us. I pray that we would be an encouragement to people all through the week. And that we would seriously take the challenge that was presented here this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.